Broadcasting from the Stolen Droids Hangout and discussing everything that has been taking place in the geek world over the past 168 hours. Well, give or take. It's the Stolen Droids Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 167. I'm Schmitty. I'm Zarner. And I'm Zook. And this is the episode for the week of Monday, June 9th. Yay! We're still going Can you believe strong. it's already June? Uh, it is already June. The uh, The kids have uh, been out for summer. They've destroyed the house at least three times over. It's going well. <laughs> each day. Yes, each day. Uh, we are brought to you this week by our friends over at trekradio.net, cryptonradio.com, openbookaudio.com, and stitcher.com. We're once again also brought to you by our dear friends at 4814. 48-14.com is your one-stop shop for the best in website hosting. They have hooked us up every single week. They've been reliable as all get out, and they will do the best for you as well for the best prices you can find. Again, that's 48-14. Uh, they're the host that we choose. We're also brought the to you- host with the most. <laughs> the host with the most. That's right. We're also brought to you this week by Symptom, the comic. The uh, the first episode is out. I keep saying episode, but they're actually issues, right? That's what you call comics. Yeah, that's that's how it works in the comic book world. Ah, I should learn these things. Uh, written by Tanner Lee Carter and... It's Lee. Tanner Lee Carter, not Cook. Are you sure? <laughs> and Roland Colinas. Sure. Symptom tells the story of Orval, a mild-mannered guy who finds out he's developed Christopher Dennis disease. Possible side effects include nausea, vomiting, headache, bursting into flames, flying, mood swings, and shooting laser beams from the eyes. Check out this unique take on what happens to a typical guy who discovers that his world just got a lot more interesting. For more information or to pick up the first issue, you can check out the link to Comixology in the show notes or visit SymptomComic.com. Hey, guess what? Um, it turns out our system may have been offline for a little bit this week. Uh, not just the site, but also our feedback system. Uh, Nathan Little, longtime listener, has been writing us feedback for weeks, and we haven't been getting it. Sorry. Uh, did he, we all of a sudden just get an influx of messages from him? Or We did, actually. He, he, he discovered that you can also write to us on Twitter. He should have known better if he was a longtime listener, truly. Uh, he did write back this week regarding last week, our print versus digital is print dead argument. He writes, uh, okay, my belief is that there will always be a market for printed word. Zook is not alone in his wanting of physical copies. Furthermore, I believe that the sales of printed books have been decreasing over the past decade or so, but are starting to level out. One thing that I'd like to see more writers doing is offering exclusive content with their printed books. Maybe a tie-in short story or a print of characters used to be used in the as a bookmark lastly in my opinion all printed books should have a code for digital download thanks nathan those are some pretty good I, ideas i think that's a brilliant idea if you're gonna buy a physical copy you should get a digital copy as well but but here's uh, nathan i'm on your side i agree with you but here's my take on it playing devil's advocate the problem is that, is that it's actually a lot easier to get a physical copy of something into digital form it's almost like a digital copy, a digital download doesn't really matter because people can scan books. They can make them into EPUBs or PDFs. It's a pain, but it can be done. Uh, people can take digital media, uh, sorry, physical media and make digital copies of that. Right? That doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to matter as much. So I'm not sure if this kind of, you know, incentive would really work. What do you guys think? Uh, well, uh, on one hand, I mean, I I see them doing that in the DVD world. Like, you, you go by, especially with Disney, you go by a Disney Blu-ray, you not only get the Blu-ray disc, but you get the DVD disc and the digital download. Um, and so I, 
I want to say that it would work in uh, in the print economy because, or not the economy. Uh, what, what am I trying to say? It, it, it would work with print, I think, um, just for the people that that want the multiple options. However, um, it would be a very small niche. Most people that buy physical books only read physical books. People mm. that that read ebooks only buy ebooks. I, I don't see a, a cross between those two. Um, those two worlds there. Perhaps, perhaps. I, I mean, I understand what Nathan is saying, and, and I would like to kind of relate a story from my past. Um, I'm a big fan of the band Bare Naked Ladies, okay? And years and years ago, they came out with a an album, our, uh, Everyone for Every... What was it? I don't even remember the name. I'm that every, big a fan. Every, everyone... <laughs> Everywhere for everyone, everyone or everything for everyone. Something, I know which one you're talking about, because it came with a, a DVD and a CD. Right. Um, and that's yeah. just it. It came with the CD... But I mean, it was a little bit more expensive, barely more expensive, but it was the CD. And then it was a DVD that came with it. And on that DVD was the entire album again in acoustic format, the entire album again in 5.1 surround, and then the entire album being performed by the band live in studio, mm-hmm. plus it's outtakes, every- plus extra tra- tracks that didn't make it on. It's everything to everyone. Everything to everyone. So it was a lot of value added in there. And guess what? What was the difference between $18 and $15? Well, that three extra dollars is a whole lot of content you couldn't get any other way. So maybe what Nathan is kind of suggesting is, look, you can buy this book. Or for $2 more, it's the anthology edition or something. And it comes with the bookmark. And it comes with the pin. And it comes with a poster. And it comes with a digital download. So if you're going on vacation, you can bring it on your Kindle or on your Nook or on your – there's a Kobo, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's still around? People still use that? <laughs> it's been a decade, but yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think what would be really cool – I mean, they have uh, Whisper Sync between um, e-books and, and audiobooks where you can – it it keeps up with where you're, where you're uh, reading it. I think it'd be really cool if they could cross that over somehow into the physical book, where you're reading along. You know, say at night you want to sit down and read your book. You get to like chapter three, and then on your way to work you want to pop in the audio book, and then it knows exactly where you left off. I think that's a market that needs to be needs to be tapped. Yeah. In any case, I don't think the printed market is dead quite yet for reasons I brought up, and I think Nathan just recapped as well. But you're right; the distribution of it is definitely suffering at the hands of digital format. So thanks for the feedback, Nathan. We appreciate it. We also got some feedback from Ruff. Finally. Actually, I'm not sure if this is feedback (laughs) or not. I don't know how many episodes behind Ruff is, but uh, he says, Hi, guys. I just floated the idea that Zahner isn't unique due to his last name because I'm pretty sure that he shares that with his father, grandfather, etc. Cheers, Ruff. I (laughs) I don't even remember which episode we were talking about that. What if I were to say that I'm an orphan and I made up the name? That's not the case, but what if? If you made up that name, you're pretty crappy at making up names. Or maybe I'm really good at making up names. We can can say that you are unique with the name Zahner in the podcast world. I don't know of any other podcasters with the name Zahner. So I I think I remember that though because my I I think I remember talking about that that I did a search or something and I am the only person on the planet with my name. Well, I, I'm the only one in the U.S. with my name, so you're not that unique in that method. And actually, that's not true because there is another Zoner in podcasting. He has some strange paranormal show I've listened to occasionally. He's an idiot. Yes. That guy is an idiot. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. 
He just makes crap up all the time. Rough, thanks for the feedback, Rough and Nathan, both of you. Again, you can send us feedback at feedback at stolendroids.com or give us a call, 801-917-GEEK. Uh, we will play your message on the air. So I appreciate it. It's always nice hearing from you guys. Into this week's news, we had, um, well, actually, all of our headlines seem to center around two major things, and the first being Apple and the second being um, digital media, again, because we can't get enough of that. But yeah, for, no, we got a few others out there. Yeah, some others. Uh, first off, we actually uh, have to go on a tangent before we've even started anything else. Uh, remember a few weeks ago we had that heart bleed vulnerability that hit the web and it turned out everyone was vulnerable to? Mm-hmm. Well, right on the tail end of that, it turns out there is another open SSL vulnerability that has just been discovered. And it is sending people reeling again. Uh, using a crypto bypass flaw, which Schmitty will have to explain, uh, it basically can broadcast everything you're doing to people when it's supposed to be locked behind an SSL encryption layer. Yeah, I'm not even going to try to explain that one. <laughs> well, okay, so if we can't explain, let's just quote here. Quote, the TLS bypass, TLS is a type of SSL certificate, exploits work only when traffic is sent or received by a server running open SSL 1.01 and the 1.02 beta one, which I would think most people are actually upgraded from, but in case they haven't, you're vulnerable. Yay! Now, how do you know if the server you're talking with is vulnerable or not? Well, there's kind of the kicker. You don't. So, not much you can do from a consumer level. This is much more of a hosting problem, much more of a corporation problem. What do you think is going to be the turnaround on this vulnerability? How how big of a deal do you think it's going to make? Well... Unfortunately, this one doesn't have a catchy name like Heartbleed. Um, that name really gave um, the consumers something to, to grab onto and gave it. It was it was noticeable. This one doesn't really have anything like that. I I don't think consumers are going to um, realize what's at stake here, and so I don't think it will have the same impact. Well, and and actually, there's a big. Uh there's a lot to what you're saying there because it's not just the name Heartbleed. It was the logo. You remember? That logo was everywhere, like a General Mills logo gone bad. You know, everyone (laughs) knew the logo, everyone knew the name, and somehow that stuck in the public consciousness as, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. As compared to open SSL vulnerability 9.532 only affecting SSL certificates on a 1.01 beta 2 server. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and and unfortunately, we, if they do come out with uh, another General Mills gone bad logo, <laughs> however you put it, um, is the public going to start losing? Did I did I say that right? I my head is not in the right place in there. I'm sorry. Is the public going to start losing? Uh, that doesn't sound right in my head. Hold on. Are they going to start losing? <laughs> are they going to start losing faith in the internet if we keep coming out with these huge, quote unquote, vulnerabilities um, that doesn't? Don't, they they seem to be patching them, but then another one comes out. Oh, but it it didn't just barely come out. It's always been there. I mean, we can't keep. I don't know. I don't. Zana, I don't know it looks where like you have something that. you want to say there. <laughs> well, I I don't think that people are going to lose faith in the internet because. I, I hate to say it, but people are stupid. Well, okay. And as long as they can get to their YouTube and watch their cats and, you know, 
do their Netflix and whatever else they may be doing online, they don't care. It's it's not it's well, not going to destroy them until they get identity thieved or whatever happens, and it literally destroys their life. Well, let me well, let me correct you there. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually counter you there. I don't think that people are so stupid they won't care. I think people just simply won't care. It's like, is government corrupt? Well, yeah, it's corrupt, but what am I going to do? I'm just going to keep doing it because it's easier to just keep going along with the flow than it is to make a stand and say, well, fine then. The Internet's so insecure, I'm not going to use the Internet anymore. Are you kidding so are me? You, Who's going to say that? Are you saying that they're just lazy? Well, they're, they're, they're not necessarily stupid. They're lazy. Well, it's easier that way. I mean, you can say lazy, but it's you try and live now and work in a modern workplace without using any Internet. You can't on do it. principle. Right. You can't do it. I'd lose my job. Yeah. And let us <laughs> at least we forget. Let's we forget being a Luddite is not a protected class. No, you can't say, sorry, I can't do this job because I don't get on the Internet. They'd look at you funny and. But what about Facebook? Well, occasionally I do Facebook, but not the internet internet. Well, the the angle I was going from, I mean, we're, we come from a technological background. We understand that um, anytime you have anything technological, it's not 100% secure. You're never going to be 100% secure. Not a lot of people that, uh, a lot of people that don't come from technological backgrounds don't understand that entirely and so when you when they're hearing every month that there's this vulnerability that we found it's huge vulnerability all your accounts are are susceptible to this uh, it i mean to us it's not a surprise but to to the layman it's it's going to sound like you know there's there's nowhere to turn now there's nowhere to trust you know what i'm saying which brings me to my next point open ssl ssl stands for secure socket layer secure it's not secure if they keep finding all these vulnerabilities how long is open ssl going to continue to be used this way or the way that it has been with all these are, are you waiting for them to rename it sssl sort of secure socket layer that's what they should call it mildly secure sort of secure <laughs> on a good day secure allegedly secure PGP stands for pretty good protection. I mean, yeah. well, it's pretty good. You guys good. keep saying it's this, but really and, good. <laughs> and this isn't even a point of being lazy. People get desensitized, okay? Even about things they understand. Uh, this week, another recall was done on Toyota brakes because it killed a family. Hey, this week, another recall was done on Toyota's brake, um, acceleration system because it killed another family. Those are things people understand, right? But when the news keeps coming week after week after week, at a certain point, the general population goes, yeah, okay, we get it. Toyota's break can kill you. They don't care anymore. I see your point. Yeah. It's not being lazy. It's not conforming. It's being desensitized. I think that's actually a good way to put it. And it's also that entire, that fundamental feeling that everyone has. Yeah, but that's everyone else. I've driven a Toyota for years, and it's never killed me. I've been Yet. on the internet for years and I've never had my identity stolen. Yet. You know what I'm but saying? You know it's of, that yeah. feeling of this only applies to everyone else. Yeah. You know. I think that's an astute observation. And the more you hear about it on the news and it still hasn't happened to you, that only falsely reinforces that feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and unfortunately, in something like this, you don't have a, a lot of recourse. 
like, yeah, that, there's another vulnerability in OpenSSL. What can I do? Nothing. I can change my passwords. I can make sure that um, I'm not giving any uh, uh, personal information over the internet. I can be as safe as I want. As I can, I can try to be as safe as I can, but there's still that vulnerability there. No matter what I do, someone else's flaw is is going to affect me. So I mean, it it's almost like this feeling of you know I can't do anything about it. So so why, why bother? No, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Well, on other news, uh, this week was also Apple's annual Worldwide Developer Conference. Now, they call it the Developer Conference, but really everyone watches this because this is typically where they announce a new iOS or new OS X and sometimes new iPhone. It's the fanboy porn conference is what it is. <laughs> okay, they, they bring out all the pretty new phone models and the new widgets and sprockets and everyone starts getting their money ready. That actually sounded kind of lewd. I didn't mean to make it, it sounded sound sounded very bad. lewd. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I, do they hold this in Vegas? Yeah. <laughs> They're moving it to Vegas, yeah. yeah. Why not? They have CES there. It's the same thing, only it covers three floors. Um, but this one actually surprisingly did not announce all that much. This is not to belittle Apple in any way, because I know Apple fanboys will often say that I do that a lot. But everyone was kind of hoping for a new phone. There was no new phone. Uh, what about a wearable wristwatch? You know, wearable tech is huge. There was nothing. Uh, even when news came out that Apple was getting into the home automation scene, there was no actual hardware. Right. They, yeah, they talked about it, but they never had any hardware. So that, I'm not really sure what to make of this one. This is kind of new for Apple, at least compared to how they've been in the last six, seven years. Th th this was more of a developer's conference than, than previous ones. They they brought out Swift, uh, their, the new programming language, which um, looks yeah. really Swift. <laughs> they they unveiled um, OS X Yosemite, which I can't wait to hear the first Mac using hipster pronounce Yosemite. <laughs> Yosemite, because you know the East Coast ones are going to be doing that. <laughs> I didn't know there was a cat named Yosemite. They're not doing no, cats they're, anymore, they're, and they're, they're not doing surfing there. points. I know. Okay. Because <laughs> you remember when they talked about Mavericks, they talked about Mavericks saying all future OS X releases will be named after surfing points. And then they came out with Yosemite. And I'm thinking, mm, not a lot of surfing going on there. <laughs> not to my knowledge anyway. I'm, I'm fairly certain you can't do that off the waterfall. Uh, not, the, the, not the traditional surfing we're used to anyway. <laughs> yeah. Lemming surfing. Um, so they, they announced that. And it's, it is a step up in OS X standards. It really brings the iOS aesthetic throughout the entire OS now. It really unifies their experience. People can move from an iPad to an iPhone to their OS X system. And there's, it's very much the same, you know, kind of the same way you can with Windows Phone, Windows Surface, and a Windows computer. Well, they, they took it a step further. Um, and I, I was really wowed at the fact that, um, I mean, the iOS, an iOS 8 and OS X Yosemite system could interchangeably transfer calls between the two. Yes, that was kind of interesting. Let's skip forward a bit there. Um, iMessage's capability has been expanded now. So when you get an iMessage on your phone or your tablet, it now also syncs up with your computer. Yeah. The same happens with your calls. That's kind of cool. Yeah. 
they 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 tried to announce it in a really cool way. I think they botched the announcement of it because it took it took actually reading it and watching it and rewatching that part of the keynote to figure out that's what they were saying because they tried advertising it that iMessage can now do video and voice chat and everyone's like, yay! Like every like other Skype instant messenger system for the last six years. Yeah. But when they then showed it and they showed it on screen. And what was happening is your call was being routed to your Mac. Through iMessages. Through iMessages. Now, that's really, really cool. However, Apple has not had a real great track record with iMessage since it first launched. So here's hoping that they have solved those bugs before they try and route and or lose your calls through the system. (laughs) I I think it's a race between Apple and Google now. Because we've seen this trend with with Google integrating all their messaging systems into hangouts i um, you say that and i want to say it's because you're the google fan or maybe no. it's because you've forgotten microsoft's acquisition of skype i well, think no, both I, google i think google is ahead of the curve i think they're leading the pack mm-hmm. but i think both google and apple are really kind of worried about what microsoft has planned with skype oh good point okay yeah i, I did forget the uh the microsoft side of it but um, we've we've been we've seen the writing on the wall for the longest time with Google, um, trying to change all the uh, trying to integrate all their Hangouts, uh, you know all their all their communication systems into Hangouts. So uh, I I think Google uh, once they get their system integrated, it will probably be um, a, a tad better than everyone else's. I, I would hope so. I would hope so. But this is keeping iMessage up on par at the very least. Uh, they did talk about iCloud. iCloud is their version of uh, Google Drive or OneDrive. Uh, and it uh, got some wider functionality. You could save to it a lot easier. You can collaborate a lot easier. It's much more automatic, much more baked into the OS. And it has a lower price. Um, this is one area where Google, I want to say they beat everyone in terms of price and yet fall behind everyone because they don't have an OS to bake into. Like, it's baked into Android, and it's baked into Chrome OS. And while the problem there is, is that Android is used by everyone, and Chrome OS is used by almost no one. Yeah, very small niche of people. <laughs> so uh, Microsoft has a real uh, foot in the door with Windows 8 and Office and Office 365. It's just automatically there, and everyone automatically has two gigs, I want to say. Yeah. Microsoft hijacked... Uh, my data into OneDrive, by the way. I don't know how that happened, but all of a sudden I have like one and a half gigs of, of stuff on my OneDrive. I don't even know how it got there. I think they do that with Windows 8. Yeah, I think they do too. Yeah. I don't mind so much, really, because yeah, again, I, I have a Windows phone and it's there. <laughs> you know, one thing that they introduced that I really think is a brilliant idea is family sharing which is yes. the ability to be able to share purchases of apps, videos, and books between family members. That is awesome because, I mean, my kids and I all play games on our on our Android devices. There's games that I've paid for that my kids would love to have, mm-hmm. but I don't want to spend three bucks for them to play it for a mm-hmm. day and a half and then get bored with it. Now, in days gone by, if you, ha- if you were an iPhone family, if you were an iOS family, uh, and you had that kind of situation, you had to sign in to every iOS device with your login. If you wanted your kids to have the same movie on their iPads that you had on your iPad, let's say you're going, let's say you're flying to Japan and you're going to be in 
on in the air for 13 hours. You know, let them watch a movie, let them play a game, let them do whatever. You had to sign in with the same login across all devices. And and in that way, you did get the same purchases. That was great. Yes. But what they've done now is your you can share those purchases across all your family accounts. If they're linked together as a family, then sure, dad bought this game, but brother and sister can also play the game even under their own iTunes accounts. Another cool thing I thought was, was awesome is under that same family account, if you have um, accounts set up as children accounts, um, they can request a certain game. Say they want to buy a certain game or a certain movie, then it pops up on, on your iPhone or iPad or, or computer saying, Billy wants to buy this. Can't, would you want to let him buy that? And then you say yes, and it authorizes it, and they have it. So Now, as, I just want to kind of put in my old my own old man technology kind of thing, my disapproving dad voice, as cool as all this is, and it is cool, at the same time, I'm not entirely sure I want my kids having their own iTunes account. I kind of like the idea of only having the one account, or even uh, I can see where this would be beneficial if I and my wife both had an iTunes account and we could share purchases back and forth. But even if, even if, and that is stressing if, I give my kid an iPad, (laughs) <laughs> I want to be in control about what's on it. I don't want them to have an iTunes account. And if they do somehow manage to buy something on the iPad, guess what? I get the statement because it's my account. You know, yeah. and so I get where Apple's going with this, and this is kind of cool. But in my opinion, and I have to stress this is my opinion, if the kid is old enough to have their own iTunes account, they're old enough to be buying their own stuff. Mm. That's they just... Ed- the age is getting younger and younger. We're, I know the age is getting younger and younger, and I know I'm in the growing minority of this, shrinking minority. Well, and, and the only growing. reason that it's getting younger and younger is because 10 years ago, uh, it was only the parents that had the devices like this. And now we're in we're in an age where everyone, even the, even three-year-olds can have iPads now. And so this, this is a need that Apple is fulfilling. You know, my four-year-old loves to play on my mom's iPad. He absolutely loves it. Uh, but you're right, Schmitty. We, my wife and I were talking tonight. We have a nine-year-old and a ten-year-old. Are they at the point where we need to get them a cell phone so that we can keep track of them? We don't have a home phone. If we're all gone and they're home, how do they reach us? You know? Exactly. There's a lot, there's a lot of questions. And so I, I think the world has changed. And I think that, you know, I, I hope that Google follows in Apple's footsteps here mm-hmm. with with the shared purchases and things, because I, I think that would be a huge win for them. And I think it's going to be a huge win for Apple. Now, Microsoft, you can set up accounts, and this is integral in, in Windows 8, because you can set up accounts as children accounts of yours, and the children accounts can sign into your computer and have child protection put in there and content yes. filtering and you can limit the hours and you can even say that this Microsoft account does not have an associated email address even yeah. though it's a live account even though it has a you know child's name at hotmail.com it can't receive email until they pass a certain age right you you can you request have that with google that. too yeah. google has uh, child accounts and kitkat even has kid mode now with their lock screen mm-hmm. so but i don't know I don't know, and I don't believe Microsoft has extended it to the store, no, to the haven't. marketplace, the way Apple has done here. The fact of the matter is, 
is that every generation has a new challenge when it comes to raising their kids that the previous generation didn't have. And I think this is ours. You know, we didn't, we didn't have iPads 20 years ago. No, we did not have iPads. You know, my, my parents questioned whether or not we should let the kids play video games because who knows what that's going to happen. And now we have kids going online and talking with people, you know, across the world. You know, and short of building a ham radio in your basement without your parents knowing somehow, that wasn't a possibility when we were kids. And frankly, if I had done that, I think my parents would have given me a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> they probably also would have figured out what had happened to their TV, dishwasher, and and vacuum. It requires a toaster, too. Oh, and a toaster. You're right. And a toaster. And a conch shell. That's right. Okay, uh, let's finish up the uh, iOS rollout here. They also brought out home automation, but they didn't. Everyone thought they were going to break out devices or some new standard or some really cool new interface. And no, they just said, we're going to go with the industry standard and we now support it. Yeah, They pointed out all the different things they could do with it, but didn't say how. They didn't say if it was built into iOS 8. They didn't say if it was... yeah. No details. No details. (laughs) Uh, They did then did the exact same thing with HealthKit. Now, if you are familiar with iOS, you know that I want to say iOS 6, maybe it was 7, brought out the Passbook, where you could save uh, different um, store memberships or gym memberships or credit card information. You could flip through it real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, HealthKit is basically that only for your health stats. Currently, no hardware integrates with the iPhone to do that. So it was kind of just a screenshot <laughs> with a coming soon TM. Yeah. Yeah. And all, and all this, we can, we can speculate all day that, uh, this is, um, giving us hints on what uh, the next iPhone will be like, but, uh, we, we will probably, probably be wrong. <laughs> so. let, let, let's spin that. Okay. Let's completely go off the deep end here. Why do we think an iPhone wasn't announced? I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I, I'm going to go with the smartwatch angle. Uh, I'm going to go yeah. out on a limb and say that the next iPhone will be announced with a smartwatch as a package. Um, oh. And, and the smartwatch and the iPhone will, will completely be, uh, you know, interoperable, interoperable, interoperable. And, uh, there will be a whole bunch of sensors offloaded from the phone onto the watch um, that will let the phone be a lot lighter, but still give you a lot more sensors than we've had before. That's that quite a limb with, you're climbing out on. Yeah, but but it works with it works with your home automation. With uh, you know, you can have your like, a built-in thermostat on your wrist and instead of your phone, which is always in your pocket. Um, there's a lot more you can do with sensors on your wrist, um, which fit with HomeKit and and the health health kit too so I, that's what i've been thinking with all of this donner do you have any no i think we're i think we're gonna see a watch i think we're gonna see some sort of wearable tech because like you said they've got all this medical health related stuff on the phone baked into it or baked into the ios 8 they don't have any hardware that goes with it. There's no hardware compatibility. And so I, I really think that Schmidty's spot on. I don't know if they'll come in a package, but... Uh, That's ambitious, especially because Apple likes to sell things separately. Yes. Yes. 
but uh, and there'll be like eight hundred dollars for each, but um, <laughs> and, and then your charging ki- charging cord for the for the watch will be another three hundred dollars, and it won't be compatible with any other device that they make. Um, See, and but, my 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 limb that I'm going out on, and I will admit that I'm probably the most skeptical and cynical of the three of us. I'm going to say it's because they realized a little too late that the iPhone design is getting a bit dated and they wanted to change it, but they didn't have enough time that the hardware is not ready, especially when we consider they just bought beats and they just got the guy who did the uh, Nokia Lumia cameras. Like they got, and they got them too close to WWDC to ever get any hardware from those acquisitions into the new phone, but they want them in the next phone. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they'll come out with the wearable tech first. And then they'll announce the new iPhone at the September conference they always do, or is it October? I can't remember. You know that you might you might be right there because it's not out of line for Apple to do that. I remember the the design for the iMac changed three times before the iMac was released. I I want to say that the same with the MacBook, but uh, they they like to have things perfect for their launch, and so I I wouldn't put it past them to do yeah. that. Perfect for their launch? You mean like maps? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. On the ish. hardware side. Perfect-ish. <laughs> Their hardware side, they've never really faltered. I it mean, just works-ish. Ish. Yes. Okay. Now, did you guys hear Tim Cook's blast on Android? I oh, did. Yes. I did. <laughs> and it's like, oh, why did you need to poke that lion? Why did you... Yeah. What was the quote? Um, People mistakenly got themselves Android, realized that it sucked, and wanted to come to iPhone. It was something about they left Android for a better lifestyle. or Well, no, because he actually like said pe- people mistakenly bought Android and left for a better lifestyle with iOS. Yeah. 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 I'm like, them's fighting words, especially when the <laughs> especially when the platform you are poking outnumbers you three to one in the market. And people are actively leaving iOS for Android. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you know, I'd, be, the, the, I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't a percentage of those people who then left Android and came back to iOS, but obviously it's a losing battle for them. Yeah. Sorry, Schmidty, you were about to say something. Well, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. That I mean, with with the advent of of Samsung Galaxy and everything, uh, that that was a popular phone. The Galaxy S4, well, the S3. Uh, I guess it started with its popularity, and a lot of people didn't know the difference between an S3 and an iPhone at the time. Uh, there are a lot of new people to the smartphone market that got the S3 thinking that it was an iPhone, um, aside from the fact that it looked different. Uh, a lot of those people did end up going to iPhone because they thought they were buying into... They thought that smartphone was synonymous with iPhone. And and, and admittedly, that the S3 was gingerbread, I want to say, and that was not such yeah. a great... It was the Windows XP of its day. Wildly popular in number, not wildly popular really in function. Right. Yeah. So so he's right in, in some aspect of, of what he was saying, but not. <laughs> I don't know. I think if he was going to try and put anyone down, it should have been, like, he should have gone after BlackBerry. He should have gone after Windows Phone. You know, and I say that as a Windows Phone user. I'm on the fanboy camp for Windows Phone, but... Seriously, poking the dragon, poking the bear for no particular reason. It didn't gain him anything. He didn't even make no. a point after saying that. Well, they've always done that, though. I mean, it, it, they kind of have to. <laughs> he did also bring up that uh, 90% of Android users are 
are like four years behind on their versioning, which which isn't entirely accurate. We're not four years behind, but not a lot of people have the most up-to-date version. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He <laughs> brought that up. Speaking of that, uh, Android 4.4.3, I believe it was, was released this week for um, Nexus devices. Mm-hmm. I've been checking like, every 20 minutes on both my Nexus 7 and my Nexus 5. And it tells me your device is up to date. No, it's not. I'm still on 4.4.2. It's not up to date. It's when you root it, Zoner. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I believe the Nexus program is the biggest con Google has ever put on hardware buyers, on consumers. Oh, buy this one. We'll always keep it up to date. Mm-hmm. People on the radio can't see me winking dramatically. No, I, I was just going to say, nobody can see you doing that but us. Yeah, it was a very ugly wink, by the way. Um, My dramatic but, winks are often ugly. It's one of the, the same. The thing is, with Google, they do these phased rollouts. And so I may not see it for another two weeks because they only give it to like four people at a time. Your name starts with a Z. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, hey. The list. hey, guess what? My, my phone got an OS update directly from Microsoft. Wonder why? It's because I signed up for the developer program. I, I didn't have to pay anything or buy special hardware. I just said I want the cutting edge software updates when they come out and and I got it. <laughs> Quiet you. Um going back to something else that, that you were saying with with him poking the poking the bear as opposed to going for Blackberry or Microsoft. That's just low hanging fruit, man. Everybody can do that. He he was trying to be a hero there. Yes and no, okay? The fact of the matter is is that Apple really could have made a good point saying, "Hey, look, you know how BlackBerry used to be the leader in enterprise security? We've just slaughtered them on it." And they it's true, they have. Yeah. Hey, look, you know how, my, how Microsoft is trying to be all big with their marketplace? We have X amount of millions of apps in ours, and it would be true. Instead, he says some snarky thing that he can't back up by numbers or even anecdotal evidence. I mean, there's no one who heard him say that and said, yes, that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. Well, except for the fanboys that will believe anything yeah. that he says. The fanboys loved it. Fanboys, oh, yeah, let's bash on Android. Well, yeah. and, and the problem with that is there will be some fanboy reporters that will go back and say, oh, yeah, since Tim Cook said this, it must be true, and so we're going to run with it. I don't think so. Tim Cook is no Steve Jobs. Okay. No, he's not. You know, okay. We got to move on, though. Uh, first off, um, we do we do have an interesting little headline here from Google. Google has previously said that they were working on a new level of internet security, something that would make everything encrypted and unbreakable. Uh, this comes in uh, re- almost retaliation from that uh, leak that happened last summer, when it turns out the NSA is watching everything you do. Uh, we know it's directly aimed at the NSA because in the source code, someone has found a little Easter egg where Google is actively mocking the NSA. Bit of uh, background here. When Prism first came to light and that horrendous PowerPoint slideshow came out, there was a little slide that looked like it had been written on the back of a cocktail napkin, which described Internet security and written one where one place is SSL added and removed here. Smiley face. (laughs) Well, in this source code, we have a checkout JavaScript compiler curl, and it gives the URL dash K dash SSL added and removed here. Wink. 
So, um, okay. Well, at least Google has a sense of humor about it all. Um, you know who doesn't have a sense of humor right now? No, no, but let's go with more sense of humor. We'll keep going on sense of humor, okay? Uh, John Oliver, the British guy who filled in for uh, John Stewart for a while there on The Daily Show, has his own show now on HBO. Sunday night, he aired a segment about net neutrality. There's some language, but if you have a moment and you're not at work, I suggest you watch it. It's 13 minutes long. It's hilarious. And unlike many of the comedy slash news trying to report on net neutrality, it's actually technically accurate and has facts. That's good. That's good. Most of them don't. And you know that the point kind of gets lost in the joke. But in this one, he brings up that uh, the FCC is trying to do that whole fast lane, slow lane internet deal that'll break net neutrality, but that they're also accepting comments on their online system for 120 days. And then he posts the URL. And then he says, and now I will do something I never thought I'd do. I will address, I will address the internet commenters out there. Good evening, monsters. And he goes and basically tells him, this may be the day you have trained your entire life for. <laughs> you've, you've waxed cars, you've painted fences, and now it's time to go out and do some karate. And he calls on them to bombard the system and tell the FCC exactly what we think of this net neutrality deal. Well, evidently, someone was paying attention because guess whose online commenting system has been offline ever since? <laughs> it has been so overwhelmed, they crashed the FCC's servers with comments. It was just technical difficulties. Right, right. You know, he says, he basically tells them, now is the time for once in your life to focus your indiscriminate rage in a positive direction. <laughs> You definitely should check out the video. Again, there's some language. I think it's worth it. It's hilarious. But uh, it's a lot of fun. So that was funny. Um, less funny is Ariel. Well, okay. So there, there's a good and bad to this, right? So we, we get this headline that Aereo TV and DVR service is now available for Chromecast. Yay. I have a Chromecast. That's awesome. We need more apps on Chromecast. Except, guess what? I still can't use Aereo because I live in Utah. And you're the only place that can't, right? Yeah, it's it's available Colorado in Colorado, too, isn't it? Yeah, New, uh, Utah and, and Colorado were, were affected by the, the legislation. Um, but it's still available in New York, Boston, Detroit, Dallas, Houston, Cincinnati, San Antonio. Did I say Boston? Atlanta? So, yeah. Ger. But yay, but ger. <laughs> it's basically progress for everyone except Schmitty. That is something that I don't understand, though, is how can a court shut down a company from doing their thing like they've done with Aereo and only select markets? And well, it's U.S. No, it's U.S. copyright law. It's not Utah copyright law. It's yeah. not Colorado copyright law. It's U.S. copyright law that they say they're violating. It so I would Utah think it would apply all the way across the U.S. You're right, but it, it it was the Utah court that brought it to the Supreme Court for its for its legislation. They weren't they weren't uh, bringing it to court for the entire U.S. because it's just, it's out of their jurisdiction. Where it, each every other region has their prerogative to bring it to the court should they 
should they if they believe that it violates U.S. copyright law, and they haven't. Utah court is the only one that that is ignorant enough to think that it does violate the copyright law. So, so if I download stuff via Napster in 1997 or whatever, uh, 1999, uh, is are you saying that Utah could say, "Oh, well, that's illegal," but Minnesota could say, "Hey, go right ahead, download all your stuff, eh?" Yeah, you're trolling me now, aren't you? Though, because <laughs> no, I, that's <laughs> pirating via Napster and and having Aereo service are not the same thing. No, but it's the same yeah, concept it, it, as far as the as far as the copyright law goes. Because one court is saying this is against the law, and they made a ruling which I would think would set a precedent for all U.S. copyright law cases. Well, that's the thing; they haven't made the ruling yet. Once they make the ruling, it might set that precedent. But Utah made the ruling, and so wouldn't wouldn't a court in in New Hampshire say, "Oh well, this is the precedent that was established in this case"? No, you, in Utah, Utah has Utah. not made the ruling yet. It's up to the Supreme Court to make the ruling, and they have until the end of June to do it. Then why are we shut down in Utah? I don't understand. Because a, um, an injunction was fired, filed. Yeah, the injun- because of the injunction, they can no longer do business until after the ruling is. And, and the injunction was the in- filed in Utah. It was a Utah state level injunction saying you will no longer do business in this market. That's just all sorts of effed up. I'm sorry. It, it is. just it is. No, it, I, I, it, it makes absolutely no sense. No sense. I mean, the the injunction itself, but the fact that it's only applicable in certain markets just blows it, my mind. The only reason is because. Supreme Court still hasn't ruled whether or not it does violate copyright law or not. That's the only reason it's not internet. It, it's not national and and not just regional. That's why. I I would think precedents would be set and whatnot, and then the whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's just it it pisses me off. It shouldn't it, be, and it won't be because it's not violating violating copyright law. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Unfortunately, somebody's gonna come to. Chief Justice John Roberts with some prism data and say, oh, guess what you were looking at? <laughs> and or like a fat check. Yeah. One yeah. of the two. Um, okay, into other mobile news. We're kind of moving away from the, the streaming media, but we'll get back there. T-Mobile and Sprint. We've talked about this before. This is not a new headline. But they've been looking to merge for a while now, and it seems like it just kind of went nowhere. You remember when it just kind of fell off the map? It was around CES when they were first talking about this, back in January. Yep. And then we didn't hear anything else. Well, it turns out they've been worried about scrutiny from antitrust regulators. They've been dealing with their other acquisitions and other business. And now they've gotten back to it and they're ready to sit down and talk about a dollar value. That dollar value is $32 billion to merge the companies. And when I say merge, what I actually mean is T-Mobile will get bought out by Sprint. I don't like that. I don't either. And... But I, and here's the, and this is an odd thing for me. Okay. I don't like it and I have no good reason why not. It's just a gut feeling. I don't like it. Well, Sprint is all that sucks in cell phones. They have for a long time in, in cell phone service. T-Mobile is doing some really good stuff. And it makes me very concerned that T-Mobile with their really good stuff is going to get bought up by Sprint who seems well- to pee in their water all the time when it comes to their service. Yeah, that might be it. That might explain the weird feeling I'm having about this. 
What it yeah. actually sounds like, though, is it, is it is more of a merger, is what it sounds like. And and when there's a merger, each each company keeps its own technology and its customer base, but someone has to keep the name. Um, the same thing happened with with Quest and CenturyLink. I mean, CenturyLink bought Quest, but they had to, to decide in the end whose name was going to keep. It's kind of like in a marriage. In this case, Sprint. The Sprint name is is winning out, and I wonder if it's because of the simplicity of the name, with T-Mobile having the dash in it and it coming from well, and and Korea. that has that has merit too because T-Mobile has always been associated as the little brand, you know. Right. Oh look, you're on T-Mobile. They're kind of like cricket, right? You know, they used are, to be, yeah, yeah, that <laughs> used to be, and they are the smallest of the four by a good margin, so it would make sense to ally with the stronger brand. Yeah, so so Sprint taking the name is isn't doesn't mean anything negative for the current T-Mobile infrastructure. Um, it's mainly just you know they had to take one name and and they decided to go with one and not the other. I wonder so, if this is going to help uh, put Blackberries back in T-Mobile <laughs> since Blackberry <laughs> stopped being covered by T-Mobile. I doubt it. <laughs> um, we have to keep moving on here. Um, I'm not throw BlackBerry in there, huh? <laughs> exactly. Um, it turns out that Netflix likes itself some smack talk. This week, reports are coming from people that when your Netflix account or Netflix streaming started to slow down, you get a little pop up saying, "We're sorry, but the Verizon network is too crowded right now." Mm-hmm. Verizon took umbrage with this saying, no, 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 this is just a PR stunt from Netflix. It's not them. It's not us at all. It's them. Well, as it turns out that it's not just Verizon, Netflix does this no matter what network you're on, and it pulls the name of your network provider and tells them. Netflix's stance is they're just pointing out what everyone already knows, and that is that you're not getting what you pay for, which I would agree with. But... um. Verizon filed a cease and desist saying that they will not be bullied and they will, which I find hilarious. One of the largest telecom companies is talking to a, a streaming media company saying, don't bully us. <laughs> yeah, this is ridiculous. On the flip side this week, YouTube also started doing this to ISPs. And if your YouTube video wasn't loading quite right, you may see a little pop up below saying, why is this so slow to stream? And it would take you to this huge thing about why your ISP is screwing you over and how it's your ISP who's not streaming things correctly and is throttling bandwidth. Here's my experience on that. Kind of interesting. Pulling something up on my Windows phone. YouTube is not pulling up correctly. And it gives me the whole little, well, it's because of your ISP. I open the same video up in Chrome. Streams just fine at 1080. I open it up in Internet Explorer. Suddenly, I'm having problems pulling it in 480. (laughs) And they're giving me the whole, well, it's your ISP. Bull. It is not my ISP. It's you. (laughs) Now, I know people from Google or people who are huge Google fans will try telling me, well, Chrome is just better at streaming certain things. And I would say, yes, Google Chrome is better at streaming other Google things. Funny how that (laughs) happens. So... Yes, Netflix did this. Yes, the ISPs might be able to be able to push back and say, yeah, it's not entirely us, but there's a lot of give. I mean, neither side, I think, is entirely clean on this. Mm-hmm. This could blow up in Netflix's face un- 
in an unintended way uh, with their recent deal with Comcast and them pulling this stunt now. Oh, you're right. I hadn't even thought of that. AT&T and Verizon might come back saying, hey, well, now, you know, we want a little extra piece of that, that, that money you're giving to Comcast, too, you know? Hey, tell you what. Uh, you can take down that notice about us being slow, and you can pay us a huge amount more money, and then it will be an issue. <laughs> Win-win for us. Thank you for pointing that out, Netflix. We appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> last couple like headlines. Digging their own hole, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Last couple headlines, and they're in their smaller ones. But how it should have ended, very funny YouTube channel. If you have not checked it out before, you should. Had a video a few weeks ago that I think was actually one of our favorites, and it was how Frozen should have ended. Uh, and it basically said that Queen Elsa shouldn't have been treated the way she was by her parents. She should have been taken to the Xavier School for Gifted Youth and made into an X-Man. The video ended with a bunch of them singing Let It Go, with Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, and Iceman singing the backup. And it was hilarious. It turns out Disney didn't think so. Disney had issued a takedown notice for the uh, for the video. And the only way it can go up now is you can go back and find it. And it's how Frozen should have ended reissued. And they had to change the words of the song at the end. They couldn't. They didn't have time to change the animation or anything else. So they just changed the words. So now it's like it's this random stream of consciousness in music form. But considering how many Let It Go videos are out there on the web, it seems really bizarre that this got targeted. Probably do you think it has to do with their audience? They just have yeah. so many people that view it? Maybe. I don't know. It just seems kind of dumb. I think it would be hilarious for a Disney princess to also be an X-Man. And guess what? Um, Disney could do that now. Well, no, because I guess X-Men is owned by... by uh, by Fox, right? Yeah, they got the movie rights. They don't have the comic rights, though. Yeah. Hey, why not make a Disney princess? You know, Elsa would make a great ice woman. That'd be hilarious. I'd uh, like to see her go up against Emma Frost. Mm-hmm. In uh, other comic news, um, and at first I misread this headline that Batman got the finger. But no, Bill Finger was finally given credit on Batman. Zoner, can you explain this to us? Okay, everybody knows that Bob Kane created Batman, except... He didn't. Bill Finger, all of the details that that you know to be associated with Batman were created by Bill Finger, who got screwed by Bob Kane somewhere along the line, and he was never, ever given credit, never given cover credit, nothing for his work in creating Batman. This is like... This is a huge travesty in the comic world, and there's been books written about it. I think there's even a documentary that's coming out or recently came out regarding it. But uh, DC Comics is doing a special free edition of Detective Comics number 27. Uh, they recently did this one, um, the, uh, part of the New 52, had a bunch of stories written by people like um, like Brad Meltzer, who's one of my favorite comic authors. Um, really cool stuff, but they're coming out with a free special edition, which contains materials from both the 1939 original and the new 52 offering from earlier this year. And the thing that is the big deal about this is this is the first time that Bill Finger has received a cover credit for the original Batman story, which I think is amazing that this is happening. It is amazing. Absolutely and amazing. it is far 
far too late, honestly. Uh, and in case anyone's wondering what a big deal Bob Kane got with that, when he sold the rights to Batman, which technically I don't think he owned, it was in the deal that Batman should be forever associated with his name, which is why any Batman you watch, any Batman you read, every movie, every comic book, every appearance, every TV show, even the animated ones, Batman created by Bob Kane. It's always there. It's always written in that way. Batman created by Bob Kane. He's always gotten the credit for it. It's always the first thing you see. Usually before the director. Yep. And so to acknowledge Bill Finger on the cover of this comic is really significant. Very significant. And I'm so glad DC is doing this. Thank you. Yep. Okay, uh, into our favorites this week. My favorite came came out of nowhere, really. But did you know you can turn almost anything into a quadricopter? I mean anything, uh, including, as it turns out, a whole bunch of chocolate. These guys use custom molds and, uh, oh, how much? I used to have the actual number here. A whole bunch of chocolate and built it into a flying quadricopter. It's remote controlled and anything. Um, I would love to see, this seems kind of like a Johnny Knoxville thing to try and eat while it's flying, considering the rotors are flying right at your face. Uh, but it's just, it's so ludicrous. I just had to chuckle at it and that gave it, gave it me, that had me give it the top spot this week. My favorite's a little bit different. It's actually a series of emails that were sent back and forth. A uh, guy wanted help with some Japanese translation. His his DVD player or CD player or something went, uh, it stopped working. Oh, it was a CD player, stopped working. Except the only manual that he had was in all Japanese. So he took a picture of the page, posted it on the internet, and asked for somebody to help. And somebody responded, and it got awesome. To the point where the guy said, no, you're, you're jerking with me. So then somebody else who was the same person with a different email address responded and confirmed what the first person had said. It was absolutely hilarious. Totally brilliant. I laughed out loud. Um, if, if you need a good chuckle, check it out. You did lol. You lol. I, I, I lolled. I almost ruffled. I lameoed. <laughs> That's the Chinese version. Love a fail. <laughs> uh, okay, my my favorite um, comes to us from the Star Wars YouTube channel. Um, I've been getting more into Star Wars mood, um, getting excited for uh, Episode Seven, um, and uh, they have uh, they started releasing um, nine parts of a video called "From Star Wars to Jedi: The Making of a Saga." It was originally. Um, a documentary that they released uh, on PBS in 1983, um, and I I never got to see it. It's um, narrated by Mark Hamill. Uh, well, now they're releasing it on YouTube in nine parts. Uh, they're up to part five right now. Uh, it's it's really cool to see, um, you know, behind the scenes on uh, all the uh, all the monsters and the sets that they they were building. Uh, so if you're into Star Wars, which most of our listeners are, check it out. Very cool. Uh, we did get another favorite suggestion from a listener. I just want to throw in here real fast. It didn't make my list because I'd already seen it, and it's very cool. I, it just didn't make me giggle uncontrollably. But if you have a chance, Google the phrase solar freaking roadways. 
Uh, this video is making the rounds. You'll probably see a lot of people post it on YouTube, on uh, Facebook and whatnot and share it. You should definitely check it out. Solar Freaking Roadways. Uh, that is our show this week. Again, special links to our sponsors, uh, trekradio.net, cryptonradio.com, openbook.audio, openbookaudio.com, and stitcher.com. Uh, again, feedback at stolendroids.com. Until next time, cheers. End of line. Good day. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.